Salutations, thriller and horror devotees. I am Melisette, your ardent hostess. On this podcast, I'll be reading stories, and each episode will be a chapter from a classic or a contemporary work. Sometimes I'll have special previews, science fiction, horror, thrillers. Uh, yeah, those are my specialties. When one book is complete, we will move on to another. It will be a pleasure if you accompany me through tales from the timeless past or maybe the dystopian future. Either way, let the ceremony commence. Welcome, bienvenue, welcome. Hello, gorgeous. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of A Frightful Fret with Melisette. And today, we launched a FrightfulFret.net. No, I am not kidding. This is very real, and it is on the interwebs. You can look it up. And what it has on there are breakdowns of the episodes. So it's a guide, and particularly with the book Frankenstein, you almost need a brief installment to tell you how to read the book because many people dive in and they're like, okay, I see all this stuff in the beginning. I'm just going to go right to chapter one. And you know what? I don't blame them because I I would do the same thing. That is why I tell people, no, don't do that. So these little things on the web for each episode can be handy and they're really good if you need to do any homework, hint, hint, hint. These do not include spoilers. They are more like general overviews, but if you are reading along and you really like to dive in a little bit deeper, I think that they're resourceful, and I try to include the links from all of the current formats which you can listen to us in. So the episode one link has a little summary, it gives some information, and it has the link for all of the episodes. But it also talks a little bit about the history of the era because that is fairly pertinent to what we're talking about. So yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. And that's all I have to say about that. Why do I feel like I'm Forrest Gump here? Oh my goodness. Have you guys seen that movie recently, by the way? You know what? It's still good. It's still good. All right, we have a lot of material to cover because as we learned in our last episode, R. Walton, who had been sending letters to his sister Margaret back home, met a mysterious stranger in the middle of the ice, in the middle of nowhere, and all we knew was that this individual was European and sad. That's pretty much all we had to go on. Well... The stranger at the end of the letters, uh, which actually turned into journals by R. Walton, documenting different incidences with this stranger, he came forward and said that he was going to tell R. Walton everything. And, well, chapter one starts with everything. We begin at this individual's birth. So we will dive right into it without further ado. a Genovese, and my family is one of the most distinguished of that republic. My ancestors had been for many years counselors and syndics, and my father had filled several public situations with honor and reputation. He was respected by all who knew him for his integrity and indefatigable attention to public business. 
He passed his younger days perpetually occupied by the affairs of his country. A variety of circumstances had prevented his marrying early, nor was it until the decline of his life that he became a husband and a father of a family. As the circumstances of his marriage illustrate his character, I cannot refrain from relating them. One of his most intimate friends was a merchant who, from a flourishing state, fell through numerous mischances into poverty. This man, whose name was Beaufort, was of a proud and unbending disposition and could not bear to live in poverty and oblivion in the same country where he'd formerly been distinguished for his rank and magnificence. Having paid his debts, therefore, in the most honorable manner, he retreated with his daughter to the town of Lucerne, where he lived unknown and in wretchedness. My father loved Beaufort with the truest friendship, and was deeply grieved by his retreat in these unfortunate circumstances. He bitterly deplored the false pride which led his friend to a conduct so little worthy of the affection that united them. He lost no time in endeavoring to seek him out with the hope of persuading him to begin the world again through his credit and assistance. Beaufort had taken effectual measures to conceal himself, and it was ten months before my father discovered his abode. Overjoyed at his discovery, he hastened to the house which was situated in the mean street near Roos. But when he entered, misery and despair alone welcomed him. Beaufort had saved but a very small sum of money from a wreck of his fortunes, but it was sufficient to provide him with sustenance for some months, and in the meantime, he hoped to procure some respectable employment in a merchant's house. If the interval was consequently spent in inaction, his grief only became more deep and rankling. When he had leisure for reflection, and at length it took so fast hold of his mind that at the end of three months he lay on a bed of sickness incapable of any exertion. His daughter attended him with the greatest tenderness, but she saw with despair that their little fund was rapidly decreasing, and that there was no other prospect of support. But Caroline Beaufort possessed a mind of an uncommon mold, and her courage rose to support her adversity. She procured plain work, she plaited straw, and by various means contrived to earn a pittance scarcely sufficient enough to support life. Several months passed in this manner. Her father grew worse, her time was more entirely occupied in attending him, her means of sustenance decreased, and in the tenth month her father died in her arms, leaving her an orphan and a beggar. The last blow overcame her, and she knelt by Beaufort's coffin, weeping bitterly when my father entered the chamber. He came like a protecting spirit to the poor girl who committed herself to his care, and after the internment of his friend, he conducted her to Geneva and placed her under the protection of a relation. Two years after this event, Caroline became his wife. There was a considerable difference between the ages of my parents, but the circumstance seemed to unite them only closer in bond of devoted affection. There was a sense of justice in my father's upright mind, which rendered it necessary that he should approve highly to love strongly. Perhaps during former years he had suffered from a late-discovered unworthiness of one beloved, and so was disposed to set greater value on tried worth. There was a show of gratitude and worship in his attachment to my mother, differing wholly from the fondness of age, for it was inspired by the reverence of her virtues and a desire to be the means of, in some degree, recompensing her for the sorrow she had endured. 
but which gave inexpressible grace to his behavior to her. Everything was made to yield to her wishes and convenience. He strove to shelter her as a fair exotic is sheltered by the gardener from every rougher wind and to surround her with all that could tend to excite pleasurable emotion in her soft and benevolent mind. Her health and even the tranquility of her hitherto constant spirit had been shaken by what she had gone through. During the two years that had elapsed previous to their marriage, my father had gradually relinquished all his public functions, and immediately after their union, they sought the pleasant climate of Italy, and the change of scene and interest attendant on a tour through the land of wonders is a restorative for her weakened frame. From Italy they visited Germany and France. I, their eldest child, was born at Naples, and as an infant accompanied them in their rambles. I remained for several years their only child. Much as they were attached to each other, they seemed to draw an inexhaustible stores of affection from a very mine of love to bestow them upon me. My mother's tender caress and my father's smile of benevolent pleasure while regarding me are my first recollections. I was their plaything and their idol and something better, their child. The innocent and helpless creature bestowed upon them by heaven whom to bring up to good and whose future lot it was in their hands to direct to happiness or misery, according as they fulfilled their duties toward me. With this deep consciousness of what they owed towards the being to which they had given life, added the active spirit of tenderness that animated both, it may be imagined that, while during every hour of my infant life, I received a lesson of patience, of charity, and of self-control, I was so guided by a silken cord that all seemed but one train of enjoyment to me. For a long time I was their only care. My mother had much desire to have a daughter, but I continued their only offspring. When I was about five years old, while making an excursion beyond the frontiers of Italy, they passed a week on the shores of the Lake of Cuomo. Their benevolent disposition often made them enter the cottages of the poor. This to my mother was more than a duty. It was a necessity, a passion. Remembering what she had suffered and how she'd been relieved, for her to act in her turn the guardian angel to the afflicted. During one of their walks, a poor cot in the foldings of a veil attracted their notice as being singularly disconsolate, while a number of half-clothed children gathered about it spoke of penury in its worst shape. One day, when my father had gone by himself to Milan, my mother, accompanied by me, visited this abode. She found a peasant and his wife, hard-working, bent down by care and labor, distributing a scanty meal to five hungry babes. Among these four, there was one which attracted my mother far above the rest. She appeared of a different stock. The four others were dark-eyed, hearty little vagrants. This child was thin and very fair. Her hair was the brightest living gold, and despite the poverty of her clothing, seemed to set a crown of distinction above her head. Her brow was clear and ample, her blue eyes cloudless, and her lips in the molding of her face so expressive of sensibility and sweetness that none could behold her without looking on her as of a distinct species, and being heaven-sent and bearing a celestial stamp on all her features. 
the peasant woman perceiving that my mother fixed eyes of wonder and admiration on this lovely girl, eagerly communicated her history. She was not her child, but the daughter of a Milanese nobleman. Her mother was a German and had died on giving her birth. The infant had been placed with these good people to nurse. They were better off then. They had not been long married, and their eldest child was but just born. The father of the charge was one of those Italians nursed in the memory of the antique glory of Italy, one of the schiavi ona fermenti, who exerted himself to obtain the liberty of his country. He became the victim of its weakness. Whether he had died or still lingered in the dungeons of Austria was not known. His property was confiscated. His child became an orphan and a beggar. She continued with her foster parents and bloomed in their rude abode, fairer than a garden rose among the dark-leaved brambles. When my father returned from Milan, he found playing with me in the hall of our villa a child fairer than the pictured cherub, a creature who seemed to shed radiance from her looks, and whose form and motions were lighter than the chamas of the hills. The apparition was soon explained. With his permission, my mother prevailed on her rustic guardians to yield their charge to her. They were very fond of the sweet orphan. Her presence had seemed a blessing to them, but it would be unfair to keep her in poverty and want when Providence afforded her such powerful protection. They consulted their village priest, and the result was that Elizabeth Lavenza became the inmate of my parents' house, my more than sister, the beautiful and adored companion of all my occupations and my pleasures. Everyone loved Elizabeth, the passion and most reverential attachment with which all regarded her became, while I shared it, my pride and my delight. On the evening previous to her being brought to my home, my mother had said playfully, I have a pretty present for my victor. Tomorrow he shall have it. And when on the morrow she presented Elizabeth to me as her promised gift, I, with childish seriousness, interpreted her words literally and looked upon Elizabeth as mine, mine to protect, to love, and cherish. All praises bestowed on her. I received as made a possession of my own. We called each other familiarly by the name of cousin. No word, no expression could body forth the kind of relation in which she stood to me my more than sister. Since her death, she was to be mine only. And there you have it, chapter one, in sickness and in health. And I'm not just saying that to be quirky. That's true because I had bronchitis. And after bronchitis came pneumonia. First comes love, then comes... <laughs> all right, so this is a labor of love, and I want you all to remember that. And I adore all of you who take the time to listen. And I get really thoughtful notes from you guys, and I appreciate it so much. So I want to say thank you. We finished chapter one, which focuses on our visitor who was picked up hanging out on the ice okay if you've been following along you know he wasn't really just hanging on ice saying what's up girl you look cool making really bad puns like i do um we discover this man is named victor and he's kind of bounced around europe a little bit and his parents had a may december marriage is that what they call it i don't even know um dad was old 
mom was young uh, and they adopted a little girl when they were in Italy who was the daughter of a nobleman who had been imprisoned and it's a really interesting story if you've been listening along so there you have that and I want to give a shout out we have patrons of the show what oh my goodness um, Dan if you are listening thank you for being a patron of a frightful fret with Melisette and you can go to a frightful fret.net to find out more I am on patreon if that's how you say it Ko-fi, um, all over the interwebs uh, you could just type in Melisette and I probably won't pop up because my name doesn't even make sense however I am there just keep searching and you'll find it and once again I thank you from the deepest 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 somethings I don't even know what I was going to say I lost track anyway from the bottom of my heart I want to thank you for taking a listen have a wonderful wonderful time until we meet again Auf Wiedersehen